Welcome to Wook AF with Ruth Steele, the podcast that delves deeper into some of life's unanswered questions, fears not the juicy real talk and taboo topics, and aims to educate on self-help healing. Join us and relax as we explore the mindsets of those choosing happiness and making a positive impact in our desperately disconnected world. Hello, lovely listeners. Thank you for being here. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Madura Bagvat, who is a double bachelor in political science and international politics, and also a licensed lawyer. And for the last five years has been teaching yoga philosophy and psychology in teacher training programs and is also an Ayurveda educator and yoga therapist who works mainly with women's health related issues. Today Madura and I will be having a very important conversation about racism in yoga, how racism presents itself in the yoga and wellness industry, how to spot it and most importantly how to put a stop to it. Thank you all so much for being here with a willingness to educate yourselves and actively practice anti-racism. We hope you enjoy the episode. Um, and it's lovely to be here. I guess um, as we had a conversation before, uh, we had a little FaceTime and um, thought it was about time that, you know, more um, white women and... Uh, black, um, you know, or BIPOC, should I say, people of colour are coming together to talk about these issues, especially within the yoga and wellness industry. And we are eager to learn from you so that we can be better and start calling ourselves out for the bullshit behaviour, which I can certainly <laughs> recognise in myself in the past. And I want to start doing better. So, um, so yeah, if you're comfortable, I would love to... Um, learn from some of your experiences where you have directly experienced um, racism within yoga and the wellness industry and how that's shown up for you? Um, well, to start off, I think it's quite weird no, that we're actually talking about racism in yoga. I never in my wildest dream ever thought that we would be speaking on something like this. It's quite strange. Um, but as far as racism goes, in my opinion, certainly it does exist. And uh, there are different forms in which it takes place. So, for instance, in my personal opinion and my experience, I had applied to some of the yoga studios in the UK and usually they never get back to you. So the moment they know that you are an Asian and especially Indian and a person of color, the first thing is they never reply. Or even if they at all get back to you, they just give you some bizarre excuses as to why they cannot have you there. Uh, what, what affects me is that most of these yoga, own, uh, yoga studio owners or yoga teachers, they go to India to finish their certifications. They come back to their countries, they finish their, uh, you know, they start off their businesses, they start their studios, but they refuse to accept us in their community or in their circles. They never appoint a person of color. And I find that quite hypocritical in my opinion. Uh, similarly, you know, I see a lot of racism when it comes to... Um, clothing brands such as Lululemon, I mean, even the founder himself has said that the reason he wanted to mock Japanese, that was the reason why he started Lululemon in the first place, because Japanese can't say the letter L. So, the, yeah, you didn't know this. I yeah, did not know that. Yes. So that, and he's openly admitted that, that that was the reason, because he found it quite funny. 
And then it surprises me that, you know, most people, they take pride in calling themselves Lululemon ambassadors. They don't even know what they're supporting. So even when yoga teachers don't openly say that they are not racist, they are supporting racist activities in one way or another. Because somewhere they are ignorant to certain information. But, you know, with technology, you have everything available to you. Um, similarly, like if you see clothing brands, they never make certain sizes. So they would maximum have it in large or extra large, but then they don't have double XL or triple XL. And mainly people belonging to the BIPOC community, they are curvy women. Like I'm an exception to the rule because I'm quite tiny and thin, but majority of them, they are curvy. And what they're essentially trying to do is that they are segregating and they are excluding the BIPOC community and saying that, no, we are not going to make it for you. It's only for white women because they have the capacity to spend that much money. So, yes, there is a lot of racism in many different ways. And it's ridiculous for me to observe it from the outside and even having to face it sometimes. Yes. I did not know that. That is shocking. And mm-hmm. and like you said, I mean, it seems completely ridiculous when it is marked to this media's idea of the ideal i guess white woman who is usually slim that they market to for financial reasons but actually the women or men who need it the most within the wellness industry are the regular body type which is curvy or perhaps you know has had a lot of health issues or cancer or whatever it is and they're needing a wellness industry that isn't showing up for them and it isn't really good enough so um you will find a lot of hypocrisy, you know, and the worst thing is that there is no transparency, there's no accountability because nobody questions them, nobody asks what's happening. So they always get away with whatever has been happening. They don't really feel the need that they need to answer anyone. And yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's how things have been going around. It makes me want to be so much more curious about anything that I invest <laughs> in, especially when it comes to yoga clothing or, you know, anything like that. Um, what are other ways that you see racism show up in terms of yoga studios, perhaps? Um, for instance, you know, sometimes I see yoga studios say that they embrace uh, ethnicity or diversity. But what I fail to see is uh, it's reflecting in the proportion of the teachers teaching there of those belonging to, you know, uh, like such as me, people of color. You don't really get to see that. And uh, although they say that, oh, we are ready to embrace everyone, they are they are not doing that. Mm-hmm. Similarly, even I don't see white students wanting to learn with people of color. And sometimes, I mean, you know, this is through my investigation that I've come to this conclusion that sometimes they feel that people of color maybe are not that flamboyant or sometimes they could be strict or dull. So I will speak from my perspective as an Indian. You know, we're quite straightforward. I mean, we are not people of fluff. So we say, if I like you, I like you. If I don't like you, I don't like you. But we don't go about hugging and kissing and, you know, creating that hold up drama around certain things. So we get straight to the point. And sometimes white people find that as us being unreachable. But on the contrary, the other way around. Because they are the ones who are not allowing us to enter the community. You know? So, uh, yes... Racism is practiced in both ways. One is in form of yoga studios, as well as certain individual teachers teaching and people practicing, because they always prefer white teachers mm. instead of teaching color. And they don't realize that maybe if you a 
at all try learning from someone who belongs to the BIPOC community, you might end up learning certain things which the other or the white people are not able to teach you. Mm-hmm. But that will only happen if you are more open towards accepting. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I feel it's important as a white woman to say that it's not only giving more opportunity to the BIPOC community, but it's also white women understanding that we need to be willing to give up opportunity to level that playing field and say, if you're about to accept a job where there isn't enough diversity to say, I'm not comfortable accepting this until you make sure it's equal and more diverse. That's why it comes, no? Um, Finding comfort in your discomfort. Uh, Unfortunately, people are afraid of it, but you know what surprises me? Because people don't realize this. Today you're talking about finding comfort in the discomfort, but people who come from my kind of communities, we have found discomfort in our discomfort all our life. Because nobody gave us any platform. We had to struggle and struggle and struggle at every walk of our life. And that's why if you try experiencing a little bit of discomfort, it's not so bad really, because it teaches you a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes you much stronger instead of being more fragile or delicate within yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I said to you before when we had a FaceTime that I really admire and appreciate that about you, that you know, you recognize that you are very matter of fact and will say if you like something or, or dislike something or someone, because <laughs> another thing that I recognize in myself and other white women and men is that we can often be people pleasers, but in the long term, that doesn't get us or any member of the community anywhere, because if you're being a people pleaser, you're saying what you think others expect of you and then you're more likely to bitch or whatever behind their back and it's not really a genuine connection of truth you know i feel that you know somewhere it makes you psychologically also weak the thing is that because we have seen struggle all along with no help from anywhere we try bringing that courage and strength within us because we know the help is not going to come from outside Mm. but I have observed in white community because even my partner is white so what happens is that we are constantly clinging on to people for help and you're afraid of standing all by yourself so you know even when we talk about racism if it comes to taking a stand people are still afraid what if someone unfollows me what if someone you know Mm -hmm. stops being my friend or if one says bad words so what it's okay there's nothing wrong I mean not everything is the same you know it's, it's a fact of life not everyone has to like you so the moment you become confident about yourself you don't you stop worrying about the things outside mm-hmm. and coming from a yoga background and an Indian culture definitely it has made me in a certain way and when I see that lacking in the western culture I always question then what has yoga taught you if you are still crying, if you're still complaining, and then you call yourself a yoga practitioner or a yoga teacher, then you're not really living that life. So I always tell my students that stop practicing yoga, start living yoga. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't matter what kind of acrobatics you're doing on the mat. At the end of the day, it is every second of, of your day that matters, how you are with the people outside. And that's what's going to pay off in the end. Mm-hmm. I suppose that's why yoga teachers everywhere, when they hear that, age-old phrase of I'm not flexible enough for yoga it just grinds your gears doesn't it because you're like no (laughs) yeah it it does it does because you know so many times I mean as an Indian I always think why do we practice yoga we mainly or rather we are living that lifestyle from an Indian's perspective for the purpose of samadhi or liberation Mm -hmm. 
not so that I can have biceps and triceps and glutes and you know abs or th- something like that. Yes, that's a secondary benefit, but that's not my primary motive. And if you see most of these yogis, such as Swami Vivekananda, Paramahamsa Yogananda, they never practiced yoga. They never did any asanas. Or even if they did, they were very traditional hatha practitioners. They never were jumping around on the mat with a playlist on, with incenses, and you know the whole show. And they did experience liberation. And why are we unable to reach there? That means we need to introspect. That's what Swadhyaya is. self introspection self self learning so once you start you know um understanding all these different layers of this entire philosophy you start getting a clearer picture of what things are and how they are and what your purpose in life is mhm do you think it would be useful if yoga studios not only offered asana classes but if they offered say like an hour long class that is in this format like it's a discussion about a certain topic like racism or you know samadhi or himsa or whatever it is to kind of broaden that understanding that we will generalize yoga just being the asana do you think that could ever come absolutely. about absolutely mm-hmm. i think it is a must because see again coming back to psychology of a human being yeah why do people come to yoga to find peace or you know because they have certain issues going on so they they want to get away with it and that's why they come to yoga to explore and to find that peace of calmness and you know all those things and even after that after 5 years 10 years of practice i still see them crying then why why is yoga not helping you because nobody after a yoga class comes out and says that oh i had a terrible class no everyone feels good but sometimes you know i feel that it is more like a placebo effect mm. for instance uh, we have five sense organs correct and they are constantly feeding us information so when you are constantly reading on social media that oh yoga is good yoga is good yoga is good you're talking in your community it's good 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 you're listening oh it's good 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 so what's happening is that all those words are settling in your brain and it makes you believe that oh yoga makes me feel good so after a class you're like oh i feel so nice but then why does not if it has a longer effect a long lasting effect mm-hmm. because after 5 10 years you're still there nothing's changed mm-hmm. and how can that change is through the application of philosophy in their everyday life because when you read the philosophical texts i mean you may not understand sanskrit it's fine but you know the english commentaries on it it starts to um repattern your way of thinking it, it reconditions the way you think and that is what's actually going to take you ahead mhm doesn't matter how many handstands you do honestly it doesn't matter amen <laughs> i mean it, it sounds amazing on social media it looks beautiful but from your personal um reasoning no it doesn't mm-hmm. it just does not i so agree and <laughs> and that's where the biggest transformation in yoga is isn't it it's all mental it's all about reframing reframing the thoughts um and it's a shame that it's a shame that that doesn't get the same traction on social media unfortunately because it is a very aesthetic uh, place or arty place for want of better words there's a terrible choice of words but You get what I mean. I I wish that the mental side of it had the same traction and the same way of being displayed, but it kind of can't because the proof is in the practice. Like you have to just educate yourself and do the practice and be willing to 
be willing to change your your frame of thinking because it's one of the yeah. hardest things to do isn't it to actually be willing to look at your faults without judgment and be willing to start to change them there is another side to it because you know in my teacher training programs this is particular one thing that i always point out why people get so attracted towards the physical practices honestly it's easy to do mm. doesn't matter inflexible you are or how weak you are you will eventually get somewhere mm-hmm. but the difficult part is to study and most people i mean come on you know look at the world outside how many people actually finish their education they drop out mm-hmm. because yes study is difficult but if you want to grow you have to educate yourself mm-hmm. you know it's easy it will be difficult and that is why the very first two yoga sutras of patanjali yoga sutra is atha yoga anushasanam yoga chitta vritti nirodha Atha yoga anushasana means from here on the discipline begins. But at least bring yourself to that discipline. Create that awareness. Have that basic level of understanding of what that discipline is. Once you have understood that, that's when you will understand the discipline. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult because eventually you will just end up doing physical postures. Mm-hmm. But you know, you will never be able to go beyond that. It'll just stop you there. because i know so many uh, yoga teachers teaching in teacher training programs they only focus on asan or the physical postures which is one of the branches of hatha yoga as per hatha yoga pradipika which who mentions about chat kriyas we have the cleansing techniques i have had students you know who have done their teacher trainings in costa rica and when they come to me for teacher training first thing when i mention pranayam they just look at me with a blank face And I was like, you just finished your two hundred hour training. Did you even learn this word? And they're like, no, we were never taught all these breathing techniques. What are those? So you know that is a quality of teaching. And yeah, I mean that's what's been going around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do you think that um, racism shows up within? like a singular self-employed teacher do you say like or what can self-employed teachers be doing to help diversify their offerings as well uh stop making your classes like a workout class very important because you know when you are taking a practice from one culture or you're taking a certain um resource from a particular culture for instance here which essentially comes from india if you want an indian in your country to come and learn from you don't make it a fitness class because an indian knows that yoga is not about fitness so try adding your mantra chanting in it maybe you are not comfortable with it but that is what living in comfort with your discomfort is isn't it learn how to teach pranayam learn how to teach these different aspects of yoga and yes you can incorporate all of them in your yoga class so it does not still have to be boring or it doesn't have to be very slow and not so very intense you ask any of my students and they still tell you oh my god madras class is really bad it really kills you but that does not mean that i forget the other branches mm-hmm. you can still incorporate them yeah. and if you try adding all of these things that's one way that you can fight racism because then you are inviting people from different communities to come and join in mhm but if you you know make it like a fitness class with bothering yourself with what playlist i must have for every class and you know only i will be a people's pleaser then yes definitely you're not going to invite them 100% not mhm and of course yoga studios must go i mean they must 
accept people from other communities because you know even though they say that we we welcome diversity and ethnicity i don't see it reflect in their teaching staff i do not see it reflect in their board of teachers or their members no it just does not appear there mm-hmm. and you know i mean who is going to make them accountable for this it's the students is the normal people because if they start questioning them their businesses will come into question and that's when the change will begin and that brings me on to, I am curious to know, um, as a yoga philosophy teacher, what your interpretation of ahimsa is. I saw um, a useful post the other day that helped me call out some of my own bullshit because when I had first done the 200 hour um, in India, I had just started to become interested to understand, but I still had this very whitewashed view of thinking that it was all love and light and just being likable and all this shit when it's not that at all. Like you just said, sometimes ahimsa can mean standing up and being loud and actually pointing out when people aren't doing the right thing. Um, so yeah, please share with us what your take on that is. See, ahimsa, I mean, it's one of the sublims, yeah, of Patanjali Yoga Sutra. Mm-hmm. And uh, ahimsa literally is a is divided into two parts, a uh, and himsa. A uh, means not and himsa means harm. But when I speak with yoga teachers or you know yoga practitioners, the first thing they say, oh, but I don't kill animals. I don't hit people. Doesn't matter whether you kill people or not, whether you eat animals or not, whether you use abusive language or not. What I'm concerned with is, what is your thought process like? And that's where the practice of non-violence starts. Because if, as we mentioned, if you're practicing racism, if you're practicing cultural appropriation, you are not practicing ahimsa. You are doing himsa. That means violence. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, confusion when it comes to that word because I of vegans and um, people, you know, who are into this whole new phase or neo yoga neo yoga world. They're like, oh, but then, you know, how can you eat animals? Because ahimsa, no, if you're practicing, you're not supposed to be eating animals. Why are you being judgmental about the person? Because you, they, see, each and every person is fighting their own battles. You don't know what the other person is living like. So the fact that you have opinions, the fact that you have judgments, you are being violent towards someone. Not be in form of words, may not be in form of actions, but it first comes in the form of thoughts. And if you do not have clarity of thoughts, then you are practicing racism, you are practicing himsa towards a person of color, towards a certain race, towards a certain community. So you're not devoid of it, you're part of it. So, you know, on the outside on social media, you may say that, oh, I'm such a nice, loving person with all this love and light. But inside, if you're not, then you're not. And that's the more part of it comes into play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because people always say, you know, karma comes biting you in the ass. One day or the other, you will pay for it, no matter what. <laughs> yeah, so ahimsa and these things, they kind of go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. One is not about the other. So how do you think if, um, if more white people are standing up to yoga studios and other teachers that they spot things that they're doing that are um, supporting racism or you know inequality how do 
what would your advice be, I guess, for how we can manage that if that's met with that resistance and ego that says, oh, well, hang on a minute, you're judging. Because at some point you need to stand steady in your beliefs and say, no matter how someone else takes that, you know that your intentions are coming from that good place for active anti-racism and equality, even if someone else misconstrues, misconstrues that as judgment or... I don't think you should be afraid of anything because if you if your conscience is clear, there's no reason why you should be afraid of. And if you really believe in what you're thinking and what you're doing, then go ahead. You know, why take a step back? For instance, you mentioned about a yoga studio. When you see something wrong happening, make them accountable. How do you make them accountable? First, by educating yourself. What is going wrong? First, start understanding that. Mm-hmm. And then, the matter. ask them ask them questions till they get tired of it and they must they must and if things are not changing you have this beautiful social media use it in a positive way post about it you know report these kind of schools the teachers because if you remain silent with the knowledge that you have you are supporting racism mm. whether you like it or not you know it doesn't matter but if you are silent after seeing what's wrong, you are supporting racism. Maybe you may not go, for instance, if I find something wrong in a particular studio, I may not enroll myself and pay them. Yeah? So that means my money is not adding on to their business. But if I don't report those wrong practices, I'm allowing them to continue their work. Mm-hmm. They're malpractice. And that needs to be done. And this has to be done in case of yoga studios. This has to be done in case of yoga teachers, yoga practitioners, whoever. Wherever you see something wrong, stand up. Don't be afraid. And you're afraid of what? Losing followers? Losing your friends? And if they're going to stop talking to you, was it really worth having them as your friends? I mean, you have to start questioning yourself. But for that, you have to educate. Mm-hmm. You know, you must must educate and we have social media which is giving you all sorts of information a lot of times when people talk about racism especially what's been happening in the last 10 days suddenly you know people say that oh i didn't know what was happening what is all this going on it was just that you were sleeping it has been happening for centuries for generations you chose to ignore it because you had the privilege you had that choice where you could say, if it's not my problem, why should I care? But now that suddenly it's all over social media, now you want to be part of it. Now you want to participate in it. So when you're participating, just don't stop by posting about it in stories, by posting it you know, on Instagram or Facebook. Take an action because change first starts with you, not outside, but it starts with you. And if you are incapable of doing it, then why even point fingers at others? And that's the thing, isn't it? It's going to be really interesting to see what comes next, because although so many of us have been taking the side of the oppressor by unconsciously not knowing about these things, now we can't not know. We've all suddenly woke the fuck up because it's right in front of us on social media. So I just hope to God that everyone is going to start doing the self-work, like you said, which is going to contribute to 
positive change? I mean, I hope so, you know, uh, after a lot of study, because as I said, I come from political history background and law. So, of course, I have a certain way of thinking and my study is in a certain way. Um, I always believe that there are two categories of people. A, who are genuinely ignorant, have no idea of what's going on. So they are living in a bubble. Mm. And B, who are pretending to be ignorant. And I always say the category B is very dangerous because they know exactly what's going on. They have no way and they have to get undue advantage of every opportunity. Mm. So unfortunately, from what I've seen on social media, I'm seeing more of category B. So sad. It is. And it is quite dangerous, you know, because they are going to take up an advantage even of this current situation and how they can benefit out of that. And for those who have been living an ignorant life or, you know, living in a bubble, I always tell them that if you blame your history, that, you know, a lot of times people say that my history books taught me in a certain way. They taught me only one side of the story. What I say, if your brain tells you that your history taught you one side of the story, doesn't your brain tell you that, oh, so that means I need to learn the other side as well? then you're not doing that either because of laziness or because it's not your problem or has not been your problem. So if you belong to category A, pull yourself up and study, educate. Educate as in you don't have to go to the university. You have every, all information is on your phone now, you know. Just study, study, study and make people accountable for it. Don't sit with that knowledge because then it's useless. And I suppose for those people who are thinking that it's not their problem or whatever, it that again is a sign of their privilege. Like it's a privilege to educate yourself about racism instead of actually having to experience it, which is something as white people will never understand. Absolutely, absolutely. Because the thing is that they have lived a comfortable lifestyle. You know, nobody has, I mean, I'm not saying that white people don't have their difficulties. Of course they do have. But the percentage is very less. Mm. When you're talking about the BIPOC community, most of them have struggled. I have struggled. For instance, like, um, if you come, I know you have traveled to India, but for those who have not traveled to India, in there, you don't even have minimum wage. So you have people working for 30 pounds, 40 pounds a month because you don't have that choice. And still you will find these people have a smile on their face. You never see them complain. Mm -hmm. Never see them complain. You know, because they've come to terms with the situation. They know that they don't have an easy way out. Mm -hmm. So they, they have, they have to just survive in this. And why are third world countries living like this? Because of the exploitation they have been, they've gone through in the past. Mm -hmm. So if you talk about racism, it's not only going on for many centuries in the past, but it's even prevalent today. It is going on. So one can't say, oh, no, you know, it was done in the past, not now. No, it is very much existing even today. Mm -hmm. I watched um, the documentary called 13th and that helped me reframe some of my beliefs and acknowledge when I've heard people saying that, you know, it's, I've heard a lot of people saying it's only going on in America or it went on hundreds of years ago and isn't going on now. But that is completely a misconception. It's been kind of altered by the system in a way that they've hidden the truth from us and like pulled the wool over so many white people's eyes so that we haven't known about it. But but now there is no excuse. Like now we must learn about it and we must make changes. Otherwise, it's just going to keep on repeating itself, which is devastating. 
Absolutely. And you know, I, <laughs> this may sound weird, but what I tell my students also, I'm like, stop living in this fairy tale world now. You've lived enough. You've, you know, pampered yourself enough. Look around, see what's happening in the rest of the world. So when I tell my students, you know, when you travel to, for instance, France, don't go and see the Eiffel Tower. That's not, I mean, yes, you can see it. Or, you know, when you go to India, don't go and see Taj Mahal. Because that these are tourist places. They don't teach you much. Mm. Try and understand how those communities are living. Mm-hmm. What is that race like? What is going on there? Because that is when you actually learn a lot. Because otherwise you have a lot of travelers. You know, they're... they're uh, uh, They've traveled different countries and different continents, but then they come back and they're like, oh, but I still don't know, why is India like this? Then what have you learned if you have not looked at this, you know? Mm-hmm. So have your eyes and ears open and come out of that dream world. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you really will, you will not learn. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it may sound a little harsh, but unfortunately, that's today's reality. I think it's got to be, hasn't it? It has, yeah, definitely, 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's high time. Well, listen, Madura, thank you so much again for your time. I know we're keen to keep these um, series of episodes kind of short and succinct so that people can digest it and do their own work. Um, in right. the coming weeks, Madura and I are also going to cover some other topics, including cultural appropriation, white feminism. Oh, there were some other ones that not on the top of my head but we're going to continue to do this work so again thank you so so much for your time is there anything else that you would add or that you're you'd like to add before we wrap this up Uh, well thank you partly for having me uh, on this podcast you know and giving me this opportunity to share my experience the only last thing that i'll quickly like to sum up is from everything that you've learned or you know those who are watching uh, just make sure that you start observing problems now and try stopping them instead of just observing and sitting with it it's enough you've sat enough you've taken a lot of time sitting now is the time for action so go ahead and take that action report people and i'm sure everything will be fine Mm -hmm. thank you so so much again from my heart to yours I really hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Let me just quickly turn these comments back on on here if anyone has any comments for Madura. Also, please feel free to let people know where they can find you if you have uh, trainings coming up or um, wanted to let people know. They could just get in touch with me through my Instagram or Facebook on Madhura Bhagwat 06 and uh, yeah, they can ask me any doubts regarding courses or anything. Fab. And there were some questions asking if this is going to be saved. I'm going to save it to my IGTV, so please feel free to share it with your friends and family and your inner circles. And it will be posted on my podcast as well for anyone that prefers the audio or a little bit of driving listening or anything like that. So thank you all for being here. Thank you, everyone. Nice meeting you, Ruth, and I'll see you again. Namaste. Bye-bye. Namaste. Bye-bye. What an incredibly insightful and important conversation. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Madura, for your time and energy. And thank you all so much for being here 
with a willingness to educate yourself so that we may be better people and better allies to the BIPOC community. Until next time, you know where to find me on Instagram at ruthsteele underscore. And you can also find Madura for any of her trainings at maduraBagvat06 on Instagram. Until next time, keep doing the work behind closed doors and away from social media. And we'll see you next time. Loads of love.